If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechRetch's Matthew Lindley, joined by Crunchbase Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm. That's close. Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, but I'll take it. Uh, whatever. He's not a real human anyway. So. That's true. Uh, uh, Steve Vassallo, General Partner of Foundation Capital. Hey, Matt. And David Chow, the co-founder and general partner of DCM Ventures. Hi, Matt. So this is our first time ever having two guests. This is exciting. This week on Scooters. This week on Scooters. You guys got here on a perfect time. So. <laughs> <laughs> the joke is we're actually recording a little bit late today because transit was awful. Yeah, the 101 here. sucks. The 101's bad. I got my Uber trapped in FIDI and was essentially just held prisoner there for a minute. And ironically, I was thinking to myself, if only I could have a scooter. And I felt like a huge cliche yeah. in that moment. So just just really, really quick context. Uh, scooters are not allowed in San Francisco um, because San Francisco, as usual, is a very strange city that has very strange rules. But um, so Bird, uh, what happened with Bird, Alex? A great many things. But before we get to that, have either of you guys ridden on scooters yet? And if so, which companies? You guys are an investor in Lime? Uh, yeah, DCM is an investor in Lime Bike, and uh, I have tried Bird, um, I've tried Lime Bike, and uh, we even had races to compare which is faster. Oh, which one's faster? So it turns out that Bird's is, the current version, Bird is a little bit faster, but the Lime Bike's battery lasts longer. Ah, yes. Um, and then the new generation of the Lime Bike is uh, going to be much faster. I'm, I'm excited about all that. I'm going to fall off at a much more impressive clip now. But Steve, same question to you. Have you ridden uh, any of these things? Ridden a bird, uh, own a kind of a razor scooter, and uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say I bought a Segway for my mom almost whatever, 15 years ago. An actual Segway Segway. An actual Gen 1 Segway. Well, we found the one guy who did buy one before the company went out of business. That's, That's right. impressive. Um, Wait, have you ridden a scooter, Alex? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bessemer dude lent me his bird when he was here a couple weeks ago. I've ridden Lime four or five times, actually usually from TC back to my office uh, as a general point. Uh, but this is all preamble because uh, there's a lot of money going into this, as we have discussed, but it's even more than we thought. So um, about two months ago, Bird raised $100 million Series B, about a $300 million valuation. Two weeks ago, they were raising 150 at a $1 billion valuation with Sequoia running point. Now there's a new, new round with its $200 million at a reported $2 billion valuation that Excel is leading. And also Lime is said to be raising 250 in equity, 250 in debt. Um, and that has not, I guess, been fully confirmed yet. But the point is, uh, we keep joking about scooters and they keep doing crazy things. And the news seems to get a bit more ludicrous by the day. Uh, I've... I think it's a bit nuts. I don't know. What do you? What's our take on this, Steve? You know, I think uh, we're early days in this market, and it feels obviously that like we're in a in a land grab mode. Um, but I scratch my head a bit at these prices because these are highly capital intensive businesses. We like to call them scooter sharing, but I don't see a lot of sharing. These are actually uh, devices that are owned by those companies, as opposed to a driver owning uh, their own car and sort of you know using it in the in the uh, in the way that you might use Lyft or Uber. Um, so it's it's a naturally capital intensive business, and I think these companies are going to. I mean, this is just the beginning. They're gonna, they're going to be raising b- billions more if they want to expand to other cities. Well, Bird is supposed to be setting up office in China right now, so we're going to see kind of a reverse OFO. And- bike uh, into the Chinese market. And if you don't get that joke, you must go outside. <laughs> uh, do we do we think there's going to be enough room in the market for multiple of these companies to persist? Because I think also another company called Skip is raising money to do scooters. And there's also Spin, 
somewhere out there is still in the market. But is there room for just two or three? Or well, I think that um, uh, you know, if you look at the China market where this whole thing started, um, you had Ofomo Bike and then probably twenty five other players. Um, so you had twenty five different colored bikes or all around China. Um, but I think in the U.S. it's a little bit of a different story um, because the cities um, and the regulators are a little bit more uptight. Um, they'll probably, you know, either give licenses to a smaller group of uh, players, and you know, obviously Bird and Lime are the two, you know, uh, the two leading dogs. Um, and uh, I do think that the market will e- evolve a little bit differently. Um, in a couple ways. One is that um, uh, compared to the China model, the the U.S. economics is a little bit better because people pay a little bit more for uh, relative to the cost of the bike or the scooter. Um, and secondly, again, because of the regulators, you're probably going to be squeezed into uh, you know one, one, two, or three winners. So regulation then forms kind of a moat for the companies that are in the market already. I think so. Okay, and well, there's I mean, going to be five. Sorry, let me go for it. No, I was going to say San Francisco is a freaking tiny market compared to Shanghai, though. Like, t- well, your different yes. difference of of millions and millions and millions of people. But I mean, but among the 25 that he mentioned that weren't Ofa Mobike, Blue Gogo raised a bunch of money, made thousands and thousands and thousands of blue bikes that are now all essentially impounded in large blue colored lots. So <laughs> even you can get big and still fail. So it doesn't just scale to your point about it being capital intensive. Well, I mean, the the other thing that stands out to me is this. Um, you know, we I mean, we've talked a little bit of a little. It's it's actually ironic. The last time we talked about Bird's one hundred and fifty million dollar round, we were talking about the revolving door of capital and how there's there's sort of this continuous fundraising process for some companies, especially really hot ones. We saw it with Snap. We saw it. We've seen it a couple times before. It's not crazy prevalent in Silicon Valley, but it is. It's interesting that uh, scooters, of all things, is is the one that kind of kind of kicked it off again for for 2018. Why is it a scooter company that's the one that's able to sort of keep this money rolling in and rolling in and rolling in? And there's going to like they have to run out of partners eventually, or run out of venture firms eventually that are going to give this that are going to give this company money at higher and higher and higher valuations. Well, I mean, I think the bet's been made, right? So either the consumer delight that we're seeing in scooters, we've all ridden them, and they're all actually incredibly fun to get around on. They're so much faster than walking. They're better than Uber and SF at least. And you if, don't sweat as much when you run to the uh, podcast here. Yes, yes. So, I am sweating right now. So just <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the context. Be, be very glad you can't smell the room right now because Lindley is actually in a corner by himself. We don't want to be near him. Um, but if consumer delight persists for Bird and Lime, I can see a lot of growth available for these companies. Now they'll need more capital to buy more hardware, uh, and there's a lot of questions about how do you handle the finances behind that, do you depreciate it and whatnot. But um, as long as it's still fun and it doesn't become too dorky like Segways did, I can see this lasting for a long time. Now the unit economics are confusing to me. Uh, charging point, like how much it costs to charge the things and all that. But if that works out, hell, I can see myself riding scooters in five years just because traffic will still be terrible in five years. So I don't see a way to get around any of this. But I think these players are going to eat a lot more equity before they have to prove out unit economics. I think it's, uh, I think we've, again, we've seen this happen. This movie happened a few times over with, with uh, car sharing, of course. But um, in, in this case, I think um, will we'll, we'll, we'll be interesting to sort of see whether they get past some of these regulatory issues. I mean, the charging issue is an interesting one to me because 
you actually do need to either have someone take these things home and plug them in at night, uh, or you need to have charging stations, which is where I think some of the cities are going to go. And now we've got charging stations for multiple services. And so end up, you end up sort of, you know, kind of crowding um, these, these areas with lots and lots of infrastructure. But I think they're going to eat massive amounts of capital. Keep in mind, guys, there's $92 billion worth of venture capital basically waiting to be deployed mm-hmm. uh, by very large funds who would love to write $150 million checks because they're investing them out of, you know, $10 billion funds. And uh, so I think there's going to be a lot more capital before really economics have to be proven out. So double-clicking on that $92 billion, is that the current amount of unspent? Unspent but committed capital from limited partners. Is that, Q1, is that a Q1 number? It's a Q, it's, I think it's a Q, it's probably a Q4 number. Okay, but, so, yeah, but, it, but in the 90 to $100 billion yeah, dollar range. $90 billion bucks, yeah. What if you all just stopped raising money for a while and let things kind of calm down? Just, you know, just as an idea. Well, yeah, but that's not in the nature of VCs, though. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, for my, oh, no, please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, I also think it depends on the timing of the exit. Um, you know, Meituan bought uh, Mobike for $3.4 billion um, because Mobike raised so much capital that the return profile wasn't all that great. Um, but I think uh, in the U.S., um, the amount of dollars being raised is still on the smaller side, but the valuation is really, you know, sharply increasing very fast. And uh, I, I think this is more of a play of, you know, when the exit happens uh, for the investors. I think the, the longer they wait, um, you know, you could probably have a, a lot of capital influx and the re- return profile might be worse, um, and which is what happened to Mobike. And by return profile, you mean that so much money went in, a $3 billion exit out wasn't that impressive for investors who committed the capital That's correct. under risk. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- I mean, again, we've, we've kind of talked about this, talked about this a little bit, but uh, you know, as, as money is pouring into a company like Bird, the, the obvious indicator is like, Uber's going to buy this, or Didi's going to buy this, or Lyft is going to buy this. Maybe it's an easy entry point of the U.S. for Didi. Maybe Uber already bought Jump at that Jump bike. Uh, I guess this was a couple months back when Jump was in thinking was mulling another financing round, and then Uber kind of swept in and grabbed it. There's a bunch of you know, there's a whole pick a pick a ride sharing company, and there's some story about them trying to buy buy a bike company, become a bike company become a scooter company, buy a scooter company, something along those lines, like, you know, draw draw multiple words out of a hat and you'll be able to construct a sentence that's most likely true. Um, so, so it's a, it has a natural, ex- it has a natural exit, um, whether or not like Uber decides to get into scooters on their own or Lyft decides to get into scooters on their own. Uber's obviously shown that they're willing to buy their way into these markets. Um, you know, we've got my, like, I'm wondering there these valuations are going so crazy i'm wondering if at some point dd is going to get in here cuz this is this is such a this seems like such like a slam dunk entry point into the united states where bike we kind of skipped over bikes and went straight to scooters for whatever reasons maybe it's because like you know us us consumers are ultra lazy to the point that we don't even want to ride bikes yes yes ab- i'm sorry bikes and sf are not great unless they're the electric bikes have you seen the hills here i don't even like to walk up those damn hills yeah well i think the exit options for a us comp a base company is a little bit wider um, because you know you used to you you have companies like Ford and GM who are also interested in this business. Yeah. You know, in China, the car companies just you know weren't interested in getting into this. Uh, um, into well, the why business. why that difference though? Why are American car companies more willing to to jump in? Because I think the American car companies are looking for the next big thing, whereas the Chinese car companies are they just want to keep growing, building you know what they build today. Um, because it's still in the growth phase. For sure. So the and Chinese market being less mature in the automobile sense is right. still, okay, that makes a lot that's of sense right. to me. And and I think, you know, as as, as you said, there's I, I think there's been offers to both Lime and Bird already by many players. 
but you know when you're growing you know almost eight times month on month or you know in Lime's case they're already doing three and a half million rides uh, cumulatively I mean they're just growing so fast that the entrepreneurs just want to see where where you know where it can take them well, I mean, it's it's kind of like back in the on-demand days, right? When Instacart was getting off the ground, the volume was so ridiculously high. They were like, oh my gosh, like, let's get some money in here and worry about the business on the back end because the economics, you know, they might not make sense right now, but they, like, like Amazon, they make sense at huge scale, right? Like that, and so let's just get there and then worry about it later. Scooters, scooters, on the other hand, it's like, it's an interesting one because it's like, it's one of those things that maybe the economics do make sense at scale where you have just enough scooters that are based in the city. You have a, a churn where you have to replace the scooters periodically. Theoretically, someone isn't throwing them in a bush like you mentioned earlier or something along those lines or hiding them out of scooter angst and they don't want to trip scooter over them. Scooter angst. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, There's a lot of scooter animus here in San Francisco. Yeah, well, scooter animosity even. <laughs> no, these scooters are like freaking indestructible though. Holy, holy moly! Uh, I mean, I remember, I remember walking down San Francisco and I saw like a keypad bashed in for a jump bike, and you can There's no keypad you can bash in for for a, a Xiaomi scooter so, or not a Xiaomi scooter, um, but a, a bird scooter or something along those lines. I'm guessing they're all Xiaomi products, anyways. But um, ironically, the same manufacturer that bought Segway. Oh, the there you go. Oh, <laughs> no, not, now they're doomed. Uh, That's just sad. You've jinxed them. And the cycle has come. Completed, the cycle has <laughs> You've just taken the wheels from horizontal to in, you know in line. <laughs> I mean, but but the difference is though, like scooters are just fun. They're like yeah, they're little fun. lame. It's hard not motorcycles. to smile when you're riding yes, exactly. on a scooter, even though yeah. you are wearing your corporate t-shirt and you feel like a right. real dork. You just I, go so much faster. I think one one thing, and it ties to uh, to your point from earlier around sort of you know the OEMs getting into this business, and they've all realized that the, that transportation is and mobility is multimodal, and the idea that you would go 40 minutes uh, in your car to get to, you know, the South San Francisco and then actually only have to go five minutes on a scooter or uh, hop in, you know, on a bike to me is that sort of multimodality is, I think, the future of transportation and mobility. And I think the OEMs are figuring this out. They're also figuring out that if they don't innovate in some very material ways, that they're going to become the HTCs to Google's Android, right? And they're just going to be, sh you know, shipping basically, uh, you know, boxes with, with uh, very little sort of intelligence to them. So I think they're nervous, but I would just say that like the idea that we invest in companies hoping that an OEM picks them up or that Uber picks them up uh, and that they're diseconomic fundamentally um, at, you know, at the scale at least that these companies are going to have to get to, I think that's a really hard place for, for, for investors. So you're kind of always assuming that there's going to be someone else to write the next $150 million check. The movie does stop sometimes or the music does stop sometimes. Well, they're SoftBank though. So yeah, there, is, mean, there is someone else. There, there's <laughs> a, there's to invest in the number two player <laughs> then kill your number one player. <laughs> I was going to make a really about Pirates of the Caribbean joke, but I'm going to move on but, about sequels. But no, it's like bird, bird, birds make perfect sense for five miles, right? I need to go five miles in the city, like really fast. There's a ton of traffic, whatever. What was the Pirates of the Caribbean joke? Oh, about the number two in sequels and how the next one's bad, and that's like the vision fund. It, it didn't work out, so I let it go. I was going to say, Dead Man's Chest was way better than the first All one. Right, look, I'm not getting into this. <laughs> that, that is not where the. So, Open Door. <laughs> Yes. Raise a bunch of money. Speaking of house flipping. <laughs> yeah. So, Lindley, talk us through the new dollar amount and tell everyone why they care. Okay. So, Open Door um, is a, uh, effectively, it's a house flipping app. Um, it's not really an app, it's a service. But, oh, so this is, that's a gross oversimplification of it. But uh, we have a, a massive round coming in for this company. It's $325 million. The round was led by General Atlantic, Access Technology Ventures, and Lennar Corporation. Lennar is a big, home manufacturer, not manufacturer, home builder, as you guys know. Um, they've had a relationship with uh, Open Door for a little while now. Um, shocker, the list of participating 
venture firms is about as long as you can possibly expect. Um, Andreessen and Horowitz, one, you know, one zero one, so one zero one zero zero. Coaching management, uh, NEA, Costa, GGV, Lakestar. Pick, go to crunchbase.com, Find a find a firm. It's invested in Open Door. There's likely. thirteen in the most yeah. recent round. Yes. Anyways, so they've raised in total about six hundred forty five million dollars in equity and one point five billion dollars in debt. Open Door, uh, for people that are not familiar with the company, is essentially is trying to make buying and selling houses very easy because buying and selling houses is very hard. Um, and it's trying to, uh, it, you know, it's not press a button and sell your house, but it's trying to make it as simple as Lyft and Uber back in the day, whereas instead of like sitting in a in the middle of Hate Street at two in the morning, hail, trying to hail a cab down to get back to your apartment so you don't, you know, get run over by a scooter, theoretically. Um you're 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 doing it through your phone or something along those lines. Um, so uh, houses is a freaking massive market. Uh, so I have t- I have two questions here. We're gonna start for the first start with the first one. Why did it take until 2018 before we actually got a company like Open Door in the first place? Well, wasn't it founded in 2014? Right, but like get like getting to this getting to this point of traction. Look, stuff we started to buy online first was books. Because a book is the same every time you buy it. If I sell you a book, I sell you a book, it's the same damn book twice. A house is like the farthest end of that spectrum. Somewhere in the middle is clothes. And we kind of just got clothing commerce to be a fully functional online experience. So I'm not surprised that houses took this long. Also, people buy usually one or two houses total in their lives. There's no repeat buying if you're an average person. So this strikes me as the most niche and hardest nut to crack in the e-commerce game. Kind of. It also has a perverse um, uh, ecosystem, and and uh, as we begin to kind of under, understand sort of real estate, the whole MLS ecosystem, which is basically how you actually get homes listed and then ultimately sold, um, is highly regionalized, and so you can't kind of just go cut one deal, if you will, um, and and so kind of pulling these pieces together, getting county seed records for um, for the you know the, the 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 value of these homes, and getting all of the sort of historical data around whether there's machinist liens against the house, if there were contractors you didn't pay earlier, all that stuff was offline. And over the last handful of years, and we see this sort of through, you know, services like um, uh, Zillow and others and Trulia, like all that data is now coming online. And so I think you've got a lot more ability to figure out how to, uh, what the true value of these. So as you know, Open Door actually, in some cases, will take on inventory with some mm-hmm. risk there. Um, but but they can actually figure out that, you know, what what is the risk profile of that property? Because there's a lot more data to actually work with. So I think some of it is, um, is the perverse nature of this very high friction market. Those real estate agents, they they don't want to let go of 6% commissions, 3% for both the seller and the buyer. That's a massive number for, for these individuals. And of course, uh, figuring out how to kind of do that for half of that, or maybe a third of that in, in the fullness of time, I think is where this is all going. So I think consumers win ultimately, but um, there's going to be a fair bit of friction. Yeah, I think over the next five to, to 10 years, what we're going to be seeing is um, any of these comp- complicated transactions that require a lot of time, require a lot of paperwork, most likely is also going to go on, on blockchains. Um, and I think what's going to happen is you're going to have real-time transactions much more, um, uh, more uh, you're going to see it more common. And um, I think there are a bunch of companies um, and trying to do you know all these, for example, putting titles on blockchain so you don't need to actually use a title company. And so there's a lot of middlemen involved in real estate transactions um, that could disappear over time. And I think uh, you know this trend of crunching that transaction time is just going to continue to accelerate. Well, I mean, it's like uh, you're you know getting that get you you mentioned that just this sort of idea that there's just paper. 
stacks of paper. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> hundreds no, of pages. Yeah, of hundreds pages. of pages of paper. I mean, like, you know, if I if uh, say you go and buy a house, like some you someone might have just lost a piece of paper where some contractor when they decided to do the wiring in the house to connect the AC used wires that were subpar and then all of a sudden your house gets struck by lightning and the whole the whole wiring system goes completely kaput and then they have to redo the entire wiring system, which could have been mitigated had you just found that one piece of paper, right? So so it's one of those things where uh it, if you can consolidate all of that and de-risk it for the end consumer, you know, we Uber is a really good example or DD in China or something along those lines, uh, you know, you're 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 de-risking the whole process of what you're doing because everything is audited. In Uber, for example, like I was down in Mexico City just a little while ago and we used Uber the entire time because and we felt totally fine because it's audited. You see the rider, it, you have the history on your app, Uber will track it, it'll you know, it'll you know, keep tabs on it and uh, you don't have to worry about some stranger picking you up in a cab and then, you know, trying to gouge you or something like that, price-wise, gouge you price-wise um, or otherwise. <laughs> but it will be interesting to see how, you know, expandable the open door uh, model is because I think they're right now relying on a lot of big big data and going after, you know, very clear, develop, you know, big developments where, you know, all the houses look the same. Uh, the, the price range of these houses are typically in a narrow band. Um, everything inside looks the same and, you know, wh- whatever you can put into it. Suburbs, essentially. It, yeah. That's right. And so, you know, it's not going to work in a customizable home. It's probably not going to work very easily in, like, a city like San Francisco. Um, but the but the cookie-cutter markets, you know, they'll do really well. Well, how, how much of the U.S. real estate market is those cookie-cutter developments? A lot. A vast lot. majority. Yeah. Okay, but so we're going with majority? Okay. So the, so that's not a really a TAM limiting factor, per se. Yeah, I, that's right. Okay. Let's say by assets, it's not, but by, by volume, it is. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a good point. Because the expensive stuff is in the places where you can't build like yeah. that. Um, one thing to note, though, is that Zillow, you know, everyone knows Zillow, uh, announced in April they were going to do some buying and selling of homes as well, and they took a relatively material stock price hit investors weren't excited that they were, one, saying that their normal business model was going to cap out at some point in time, and they were going to look for growth in a way that was considered to be relatively high risk. But Open Door, which you said will hold inventory, and they will, um, will have some exposure to changing housing uh, prices if there was a major shock. Well, the, the play there is the data science side, right? It's like, if I have if I have enough information, if I have enough consumer spending behavior, you know, if, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, I don't know if this is specifically what would happen, but if I'm Facebook, I'm sure I could predict the CPI in six months from now, the consumer price index. And I'm sure I could predict the G- GDP six months from now. You if think I, you if have enough signals that are broad enough to get, can I get a look at the full basket of the US economy from a price and growth perspective? I think so. If, face, if Facebook has that, Facebook has enough information for to understand consumer spending to get to the point that they could predict, they could forward predict a CPI. Maybe. So if, so if, I'm, if I'm open door and I suddenly am the lexicon of all consumer behavior around home spending when it looks what it looks like digitally then theoretically i could actually cal- be able to calibrate my prices and calibrate my system in such a way that not only would i be able to understand and figure out how to pro- properly price houses but even potentially influence behavior by convincing people authoritatively like this is actually what the price of the house should be will they do that who the hell knows like can they pull it off who the hell knows and i think the other thing that they that they're using data again in this in this regard is to be able to look at what is the downside scenario of the of the inventory that they do hold so to the extent that they 
purchase a piece, piece of property and it extends beyond the 60-day period, um, you know, and the world ends and we go through another, whatever, uh, September of 2008, and, uh, you know, the, the, the stock market drops 70, 700 points in a day, those kinds of scenarios you can actually backtest now. You can see, okay, what was the impact on real estate so I can know effectively if I were, uh, if I were selling a loan against this, what's the loan to value, if you will, uh, in a downside scenario. So you, so you can begin, you can begin to kind of do the, do the pressure testing against uh, old data. But, but uh, I mean, these, these models are new, right? And I think, uh, and, there, and, there, and there's the, the whole question, I mean, when I come back to Bird and we were just sort of joking before, you know, that Bird, part of the reason why I think Bird and, 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 and the scooters are so interesting is users now think about transportation in this sort of service shared way, right? And, and well, spending it's, it's, in general, there, right? Yeah. I think that's exactly right. But but the technology itself really, I mean, you could have built a bird scooter the same time that Dean Kamen was working on the original Segway. You, there's nothing, there's no gyros in there. I mean, it's a very simple, uh, you know, electromechanical device. But users... Now, the predicate for them was Uber. And so for them to kind of go and uh, hop on a scooter, what they're thinking of, this is just Uber for for. for well, also, for there wasn't smart to- smartphones back when the first Segway came out. So, that, you, you didn't so that's the location with... piece. But I'm saying just the platform, oh, the tech, okay, just the sort of transportation sure. platform. In the case of real estate, we're now sort of looking at an opportunity for people to actually engage the same way they are in these other services. As you talked about, Matt, like this is more like something that I where I sort of purchase online. And so I think... Whereas the technology may not necessarily be as, as, as developed, the users are now expecting to be able to do these things with great ease. Okay, we only have a couple of minutes, but I want to hit on Maton before we go. So, because, Lindley, this is a topic you really pitched for, for today's show. So, for everyone out there who's a bit like um, Steve and I, who go, Maton, aha, yes, the Yelp thing in China. <laughs> and that's about all we get. Can you give us like the two-minute rundown about what's going on and why we care? So, uh, so Meituan is the Yelp in China. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's a little bit more than Yelp. They, they yeah, actually bu- they yeah, yeah. actually bought Dianping, which is the Yelp of China, which was the Yelp of China. Meituan originally started as a Groupon uh, of China, and then they really got into restaurant delivery, and then they bought Dianping, which is the Yelp of China. So now they're you know all combined delivery Yelp um, as well as uh, group buying. And so you have this huge conglomerate that's you know now you know probably going to be worth sixty billion dollars. It's it's interesting because like I, I no I mean it, well two things first off is I there's some it's it's interesting to see that there's actually like a little bit of consolidation happening with these larger companies. So Meituan bought Dianping and now it's going to go public in Hong Kong. Theoret- you know r- reportedly going to go public in Hong Kong at at what David said a sixty billion dollar valuation. Um, but Alibaba also bought Elemi and you know Didi is bought 99 over in Brazil and there's like there's a strange like consolidation of, of these larger services that the you know they they found a model it worked it was you know previously proven out by Yelp or Postmates or you know Seamless or whatever and we're getting to that point where even in China it's a you know it's now going to be a platform war right it's going to be you know it's gone from this like a a wild uh, you know i mean obviously we're we're talking about this from the from the United States so it's you know completely you know, miss, missing a lot of perspective, but it's gone from a wild west, wild west to the point that like now we're dealing with like Alibaba versus Tencent versus Baidu versus Meituan versus these other you know much much larger companies, right? So I can't read that, Alex. <laughs> the uh, the sophisticated equity note passing technique during the show is to me to write things on paper and point them at people. Um, we're we're low on time. Though. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so the 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 last part the last part here is that it's going to potentially go public on Hong Kong, and. 
which is a not U.S. exchange. That's not, that's not a obviously that's not a U.S. exchange thing. But like, but no, I mean, it's like we've started seeing some increasing activity in in. in yeah, you're gonna see more Hong Kong IPOs. Um, one, it's a it's from China's perspective, it's still considered a foreign uh, foreign market trading. So it's no different than going public in New York Stock Exchange. Many of these companies typically raise the big dollars in dollar denominated funds, not in RMB, and so they actually have to go public in either Hong Kong, New York, or Singapore. You know, somewhere that it's actually foreign currency traded. And um, uh, Tencent has been in the Hong Kong market for a while. And although Hong Kong, Hong Kong was not known as the tech, you know, stock market, um, there's been very successful IPOs of Tencent-backed companies. And so you're going to see a flurry of them going forward. Yeah, we've seen, I think, also in reverse, $3.8 billion of uh, money raised by Chinese-based companies on U.S. exchanges this year so far. And that's been uh, dramatically up from years prior. So, it's going to be curious to see which of the major exchanges will uh, win out at the end of the year. Hong time Kong. zones. Well, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but on that note, that's all time we have. We'll be back next week. Thank you all for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks, thank guys. you, everyone. Thank All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, And we will see you all right here next week.